Hello, good evening or good afternoon. Thank you for tuning in to the Divine Nobody's Podcast. I'm your host, Eric Ashna. I'm joined by the beautiful Jennifer Lynn. Jennifer, how are you? I'm doing well. How are you? Doing very good. It's been a beautiful Sunday. It's nice to be back here in the studio alongside of you. Yeah. Partner in crime. Absolutely. No yeah. guest. No guest tonight. No, no guest this time. It, we spent a lot of time just on the last couple episodes sitting with some really amazing people. Touched on a lot of different things. Ryan Heapy was a great great guest. He was really good. Yeah. And you know what I'm most bummed about? Hmm. Jameson's interview. Dan That's Mer- true. Mercury retrograde got us on that one. Yeah, it totally did. And that was right at the beginning of Mercury retrograde too. Uh-huh. Yeah. We had a fellow uh, by the name of Jameson Raquel and uh, he came in and was going to talk about divine masculine, divine femininity, which we may actually still use that episode by the way. Yeah. That'd be awesome. But Mercury just came out of the sky with his lightning bolt and um, somehow didn't end up recording the audio with our roadcaster, but we actually still got it. Ended up recording from my computer, but ended up working out. Yeah. It's, it's gonna, it's, we're gonna try and see whether or not we can salvage that. So, have you had any other crazy Mercury retrograde electronic issues? Electronic this time issues? Around? Yeah. You know, I was actually at a store the other day, and it's happened to me before during mm-hmm. Mercury retrograde, where I was like going in to purchase something and I was the next person at the checkout line. And the second that I get behind the check stand, their entire system in the store <laughs> went offline. Of course. Yeah. The whole thing. After you've waited in line for like an hour. Yeah. Yeah. And it, you know, it, and it's the only store that has what you need. Rice Krispie treats. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah there wasn't any Rice Krispie treats anywhere in, else. In any other store. And that was my <laughs> mission that day to make some Rice Krispie treats for my, for my family. You know, so yeah. I did experience that sort of malfunction, but it, it, it always happens to me. It always happens to me during Mercury retrograde, like something in the car, yeah. uh, electronic devices. But in, in this case, it was just Jameson and, and the, the podcast. Yeah. But the cool thing is, though, I got my new handy dandy sunglasses with me because it's so bright in here. It is. We're approaching the, the summertime. So I figured I might just suit up. I think I have the. Uh, suntan lotion here somewhere. <laughs> I like those sunglasses. They're yeah. Cool. yeah. This is sort of like mad scientist. Mad scientist. Is that even, <laughs> I don't think that's right. Yeah. Mad scientist. Oh, that's close. I know what you mean. Or your sunglasses out. You don't got any sunglasses? Yeah, I don't have any sunglasses. I Well, I do. I got some cool new ones, but I left them uh, at my friend's house over the weekend. So what do they look like? They're like octagon and gold and gray. They're really cool. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You wear Just, those to festivals and things like that? Um, I I would wear them to festivals, but um, everything shut down. That's so no true. festivals this year, maybe yeah. in 2021. It's interesting with the whole um, quarantine thing, because obviously I go to festivals. You go to festivals while yeah. you go to Burning Man. You've been several times and mm-hmm. I like to go to Lightning in a Bottle. And um of course, this is uh, the first year where I'm not going to be able to do that. But it's interesting how some of these companies like Doolab, mm-hmm. the ones that put on Lightning in a Bottle, yeah. they're moving a lot of these events online. Yeah, that's, it's just not the same. Yeah, it's not the same. I even attended a, uh, what was it? It was uh, an Insomniac event, uh-huh. but online. You know, mm-hmm. Insomniac, they're like really known for those EDM type of festivals yeah. and things like that. Mm-hmm. And you can buy tickets to... I essentially dial into a feed where you sing different DJs spin music. Okay. And so they're doing live sets. It's just, they're doing live sets and they're doing a really exceptional job at kind of bringing that sort of energy so that when people watch it on something like a live stream on YouTube, Mm -hmm. it looks like they're all partying inside that room, but there's really only just the DJ. And I believe like the owner, they're just (laughs) like going hard, you know, doing the thing. But um, yeah, it was, I think it was a, a couple months back, right? When um, quarantine yeah. uh, just started. And it was, it was nice because I got, I ended up getting text messages from some friends and they're like, hey, are you going to go to the Insomniac event? And I'm like, what do you mean? And they're like online. So they sent me the link. I think Porter Robinson mm-hmm. um, ended up doing something like that. So we all did like a, a group Zoom call. <laughs> and I think that's what people are doing now. Yeah. Like instead of like Zooming the you know, they, they will have discussions with people, with our friends. I, we have like a family um, zoom call scheduled each week where we all look like a little, you know, Brady bunch grids, Yeah, Hollywood squares, Hollywood squares. Yeah. And it's actually been really cool. I don't know how long people have been doing that for, but once I started doing it with my friends and also my family, mm-hmm. it's nice to be able to connect in that way. Because even if, you know, it's too late, maybe it's like nine or 10 PM and people 
for whatever reason can't go out and see their friends, to be able to all sit together and see each other and have a conversation while we're all there <coughs> has actually been pretty cool. I went on a Zoom call with some friends a little while ago, and at least three out of five of those friends played guitar or they were musicians in some way. Oh. So we all kind of took turns playing instruments and we tried to all kind of band together and play a song all together just the audio was probably (laughs) yeah the audio wasn't that great not great but the intention was there yeah that's cool though yeah Yeah. i like being able to see the face of the person that you're talking to even if it's online Mm -hmm. um we've i've been working from home for you know well since march you know yeah. And all of our meetings now are mandatory that you have the camera on mm-hmm. um, for work. So, you know, well, number one, so they can see that you're actually working mm-hmm. and, um, you know, not out traveling or doing whatever during quarantine. Right. Yeah. Um, but uh, number two, also for the human element, like to have that connection to still feel like you're connected to the mothership. Right. Right. Yeah. So. Yeah. No, absolutely. I, did a lot of those calls and I think we're going to probably continuously keep the tradition going, you know, because obviously there are a lot of people that can't connect during that time, but it's cool. I've actually seen people do straight up cooking shows. Yeah. There are a lot of the the classes that um, we used to do, like as far as sound healing, mm-hmm. breath work classes, even these goddess circles are moving online. Yeah. You know, and it's not the most ideal state to be in, right. but it's nice to still be able to preserve some level of community by being able to offer that. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's a little bit more challenging as far as the sound healing component, because there are just some things that you have to experience in person, like a song gong. Mm -hmm. You know, you've experienced a a gong before. Oh yeah. You've sat in several of those. And I love the sung gong. That's one of my favorites. It's also the most expensive one. That's true. We looked into getting one and we're like, damn. Yeah, I got one. Oh, you got one? I did. Shut up. I told you I told you I had a sung gong. No. Yeah, I got it back in... um, Bring that bitch over. What do you mean? (laughs) It's funny. Actually, when I got it, I went... um, I always want to show my mother and my family what it is that I'm doing. Mm-hmm. Cause for the most part, it's like one of those memes where it's like, you know what my family thinks of me and then me in real life. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, they see it in a different way. So I, whenever I have like a cool sound healing instrument or any type of event, I always try and bring them along or at least bring that experience to them. Mm-hmm. I think for one of my mother's birthdays a while back, um, all she wanted was for me to do a sound bath for her because she never Whoa, experienced really? it. Yeah. Oh, that's so, so cool. I ended up getting like some paper and I made this little certificate that was like good for one sound bath, you know, oh, all cutesy yeah. for the mom. Yeah. That's so cute. I did that for her and I ended up bringing my songong down to the house uh-huh. where they live. She never experienced it before. When most people think of gongs, they think of symphonic gongs. Yeah. Like they see it. And they're looking for the mallet and they want to just do that one strike one. and just like, yeah, like that's, that's what people affiliate the gong with. Right. So I brought it there and most people don't get to experience that sort of subtle primering of the gong. Mm-hmm. It's a completely different thing because yeah. it, you're, it, it's like, it becomes this sound that arises out of the silence and it becomes like slowly in subtle ways becomes more powerful and powerful until you basically feel it through your entire body. So I sat yeah. there, played it for them. One of my uncles fell asleep. <laughs> you know? I, you know, I fall asleep a lot. Really? In some yeah. Well, yeah. That's a good thing, right? Almost every time. Yeah. Yeah. And that's one thing that we say at the beginning of the classes too. It's like, you know, we falling asleep is a compliment to us sound healers. Uh-huh. But if the person next to you starts snoring, you got permission to, to wake them up, do the gentle nudge. For sure. Yeah. But everybody is so nice and so kind and so considerate that it's really hard to get somebody to actually go and wake somebody up from yeah. their sleep. Oh, for sure. So it becomes one of those things where it's like, should we do it? Should we yeah. not do it? Should we maybe hit the gong a little harder? Maybe yeah. that'll wake them up or something like that. <laughs> it doesn't like you get in that state of relaxation and you, at first I'll, I'll start, I'll start out meditating and I'm, yeah. you know, just so relaxed that it's, it's just part of the process and I'll fall asleep and wake up at the end. Yeah. Um, Jeremy falls asleep too, but he snores. He has like bad oh, sleep really? apnea, like to the point where he needs a CPAP. So he's like, what is I a mean, CPAP? Um, it's a device that goes over your mouth. So it will force um, your mouth and nose. So it'll force air whenever you stop breathing. Um, he wears it every night? No, no, he should though. Um, but he won't wear it because the machines are loud and it's on your face and it's got like tubes that come out. So you look like an alien. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. It's and it's super uncomfortable. So Does he won't it, wear it. And it, it shoots air. It's like a ventilator almost, right? Yeah. 
Yeah. Even That's like an external on? ventilator. Exactly. How does it feel? Have you tried it on? I'm sure you have. Uh, yeah, it's, it doesn't feel great. It's really? yeah. Just There's no it. way I could fall asleep with something on my face like that. Yeah. So I imagine it's probably for people that like really have it. Bad. Really need it. I mean, you cause know. you can die from it. Like you can die from sleep apnea. Yeah. So, um, but his is not, it's severe enough where he really should wear a CPAP, but, um, he doesn't. So there mm. you have it. But yeah, in sound baths, um, uh, I wake him up because he'll, he'll start to bring to... his CPAP with him to the, uh, the sound <laughs> <Right>. bath. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll have him sit closer to the wall so he has the electric outlet. Right. <laughs> yeah. So I, I played it for my mom and she was so mesmerized by it. Like oh, she I bet was she so was. like, this is what you're doing. Oh, I get it. Like, yeah. I understand. It's like trying to describe Burning Man to somebody. It's oh, like when it's they're impossible. like, oh, what is the gong like? And you're just like, well, you know. You just have to come and experience it. So at the end of that, she was so amazed by it that she actually wanted to sit down and play it. Oh, really? So I have this video and I'll share it with you on my phone of my beautiful mother just sitting down next to the gong and just playing it. Oh, that's so cool. And she was just sort of like doing it. You can tell it was like something she was really connecting with because even if you're somebody that likes gongs, most Uh people don't get to experience what it's like to sit directly in front of a gong. Yeah. While it's going. Yeah. So that's what she did. She sat directly in front of that gong and she just started like slowly playing it. That is so cool. So um, what was her takeaway? Uh, her takeaway was that it was very therapeutic. It was very calming. Oh. And she definitely wanted one for herself until she asked me how much it was and I told her. And she was like, oh, never mind. And she was like, oh, <laughs> I think Joe can go into the back and make something like that with some steel and some, you know what I mean? Yeah, right. Yeah. yeah to figure out ways to cut corners. But I'm like, you know what? You can't skip on the that sort of healing when it comes to the those gongs. There's this video on YouTube because, um, you know, I'm interested in how things work. They, mm-hmm. Somebody actually went to the pasty factory. Oh, how cool. And recorded. I would love to go check that out. It's amazing. Do they do like tours? They do tours, but you got to make your way down to Germany in order to to to, to have that. But you walk into the shop. They don't have they don't have a shop here in the U.S. I thought that they had one. In they like, do, but they make them. Up they there. make them there and ship them. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So you go into this place, and it looks like a, a bunch of fellows that look like Geppetto from Pinocchio. <laughs> And they got the overalls. You I know, love it. The Lederhosen. Yeah. I think it's called the Lederhosen, Lederhosen. right? Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. And like, they obviously don't speak English, but you walk into the shop and there's gongs everywhere, mm-hmm. like hanging all over the place. And of course, they have like one of their biggest massive ones. I don't know if it's for decoration, but unless you have hundreds and thousands of dollars, you can probably pick one of these up. But <laughs> it has this video of them panning to all these guys. It's it's amazing how many people work on these yeah. at once. They have five or six people hammering away at these gongs for hours and they're all handcrafted. There's really no other way that you can do it. You can't factory produce these things, you know? So it's nice to see it all sort of come together. It's a really a lost art. So I understand whenever they, you know, you have a $800, $900 price tag on a moon gong. Mm -hmm. Like I get it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So for, um, for our listeners, cause I'm not, uh, I actually had to look it up. I wasn't even sure what the sun gong, like what chakra it's supposed to help with. And like what it like Chiron is like past life healer and sun gong. I just looked it up and it, it says it's the, uh, the heart of our universe. So yeah. the solar plexus and heart is where the sun gong activates. Yeah. When you're in front of it, it definitely feels like that. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, it does. Like, it absolutely does. Yeah. And I think you were, we, uh, we had went to a gathering once in Joshua tree and, and Nancy, um, one of our friends had brought uh, a moon gong there mm-hmm. and she connected with it in an entirely new way. I think it was just the energy and the environment, but she made it, she, she put it in a really beautiful way where she was like, there's a conversation that is being happened. That is, that is happening between you and this tool. Mm-hmm. And unless you've actually sat next to a gong, it's hard to really understand. But I know what she means. When you sit next to a gong and you're playing it, mm-hmm. there's this force. It's like this really mysterious force mm-hmm. that you can't explain, but you know is moving through you. Yeah. And at the most basic level, I mean, you know that it's vibration. Right. But when you hear a vibration like this, when you have like, you know, fundamental notes and octaves sort of harmonizing at once, uh, you get this sort of like feeling of it being absolutely sacred so she explained it as when 
she approaches that gong and say she's angry or when she's sad or when she's happy, somehow the force of this gong knows mm-hmm. and can sort of reciprocate whatever energy she happens to be feeling. Mm-hmm. That's why she said it's so important to really ground yourself and even recite mantras. Like she recites Kundalini yoga mantras. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think one of them was the Agade Nime, Drigagade Nime, Sagade Nime, Siddhiguru Dev Nime, Ad Satch Yugad Touch, Habi Satch, Nanagahosia Peach Satch, while she's playing it. And that really, really helps dial in the sound. And I remember watching this talk by this guy named Harjiwan. And he's a gong teacher. And I think Nancy had gone to one of his classes while she was going for her Kundalini Yoga um, instructor certification, instructor certification mm-hmm. her Aquarian. And um, he explains it in a really good way. He says the gong almost is pretty much like as an acronym. It's like generating mm-hmm. force, organizing force, and ohm being sort of like a seed syllable is the destroying force. Mm-hmm. So a gong represents that generating force of humanity, which is the the birth of life, of creativity, creation, organizing force, which is the soul's journey in our 3D realm and higher, and then the destroying force being ultimately the return back to source. Right. So when you're hearing a gong, you're hearing this om, you're essentially hearing that seed syllable om, but it encompasses that entire spectrum of what source energy is. Yeah. You I'm totally, I, mean? I was totally blown away. Um, I learned a lot from her yeah. uh, about gongs and um, about the gong being tuned to the frequency of that planet. Yeah. And I'm like, whoa, that's so fucking cool. Yeah. Like how they, NASA can identify the frequency and how they're able to actually tune the gongs to that frequency mm-hmm. to give you those healing effects. Right. Right. Yeah. It just blows like, my mind. And, and for those of you that have never um, heard a planetary gong or you're wondering how those tuning a gong to these specific frequencies may sound, you could actually go on YouTube and find the NASA feeds oh, yeah. for some of these planets. Mm-hmm. Although it may not be exactly like that, but it gives you a good idea of where these vibrations are coming from and how, we're, how they're meant to be interpreted. You know, the fact yeah. that each one of these planets gives off a certain sound. I really, really this liked- really, really fascinating. I really liked Venus. Yeah. You know- I like Venus too. Venus, I mean, it's my ruling planet, but- there's just something really mysterious and beautiful about it. But I think my second favorite is the moon gong. I love the moon gong. The moon gong has that um, really feminine, it's like the feminine energy and that mm-hmm. feminine sound. Exactly. I love the moon gong. Mm-hmm. But actually your um, your other gong, the earth gong, Oh yeah. Um, I whenever I would listen to you play that gong, it would give me like a stomach pain. Yeah. And sometimes like make me feel like nauseous, like I was going to throw up. Oh, Jen, I'm sorry. Yeah. I didn't know No, that. no, no. <laughs> I mean, it's really interesting yeah. that um, just the vibration and the frequency, Yeah. like the, that, that energy moving through your body, like right. where it gets hung up. And uh, yeah. I haven't experienced that with, with other gongs, yeah. but it's interesting how uh, you kind of have to work through it. Right. You do. And that's the thing is like healing isn't always a pretty process, no. you know, yeah. and whenever you have these sound frequencies, these cymatics like being penetrated inside of your body, considering our body is mostly water. Mm-hmm. So if you've seen those like cymatic videos online where it's like um, these sound designers are pushing audio through sand or water, mm-hmm. it creates yeah. these like really beautiful, beautiful patterns. geometric patterns. Mm-hmm. And there's a, a wholeness and an order and a symmetry to that. Mm-hmm. And so imagine those vibrations creating yeah. those patterns in your cells your, and in, in your yeah. cells. Mm-hmm. And it's basically reharmonizing your body because a lot of the energy that we have moving through our bodies, if it's not sort of uh, navigating in a more natural, more cohesive way, it gets stuck. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, there was um, this fellow, I forget his name, uh, and he created that book about uh, writing in water, mm-hmm. where he was like doing these positive affirmations to water, right? And vice versa. And when he, you know, took a binoculars or a microscope to the elements of this, the one that he gave off these like positive affirmations to, just like really beautiful cohesive geometry. But mm-hmm. the other one, he was like, "Oh, I hate you, water." Yeah, <laughs> it's like it was all over the place. Yeah. 
you know. So I think that the vibrations, especially with a gong or even crystal singing bowls, has this way to has this way of uh, reestablishing equilibrium inside of your body. You yeah, know, moves absolutely. the energy around. And sometimes when energy moves around, it doesn't feel very good at first. That's very true. And I'm one of those people that if I go to a sound bath and uh, sometimes I don't feel the effects of it right away, I do feel calm, Mm -hmm. but I'll wake up the next day like completely refreshed. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Does that happen for you? Yeah. And I sleep so good. Yeah. So the night after I go to a sound bath, it's Mm. like... I die in my bed, like dead for the next eight hours. Yeah. It's interesting the way that energy, because there's the energetic component. I was thinking about this the other day um, because I'm really kind of picky about massages and who I get them from. Yeah. I mean, that makes sense because they're putting their energy into your body. Like you, I went to a a masseuse a while back. It was like a gift card that was given to me and it was a a legit one. Yeah. It's like a wellness center. Mm -hmm. And it's not that I got any bad vibes from these people, but you never know what somebody's going through. Right. So they did body work on me for like a good solid hour and I was sick for an entire week afterwards. It can either be one, energetic, Mm -hmm. or two, that he moved so much energy around my body Mm -hmm. that it got into those like sort of like deep spaces that I was holding a lot of trauma Mm -hmm. or holding a lot of pain. Yeah. And- you, he needs to make his way through your system. Yeah. You know, and I think that's probably what happened. Yeah. Know, it was an energetic thing. Mm-hmm. Likely. Yeah. Do you like body work too? I do. Uh, yeah. And it's not for everyone. Some people get a little weird about it, but um, mm-hmm. I'm not as picky about who, who massages me. Yeah. I just want them to do it really, really hard. Yeah. I don't like a, I don't like a soft massage. I want yeah. to, I want to be in pain. Like I want to oh. leave there with bruises. <laughs> yeah. 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 Like a meat tenderizer. That's what I like. I'm the same way too. Yeah. People are like, oh, is that too hot? I'm like, no. No. No, no. Like get in there. Yeah. Yeah, You got to get in there because that energy, you know, I I read um, in an OSHA book that he says a lot of the uh, anger that we experience Mm -hmm. is stored in the liver. Interesting. Yeah. It's stored in the liver. Mm. And so, you know, that's why it's always good to detoxify your liver. Things like dandelion milk, thistle, Mm -hmm. um, Things like that. Yeah, I take but, milk thistle. Actually, milk my thistle? friend, yeah, mm-hmm. an old friend um, from Houston, uh, he's an Asian guy, and his mom would tell us that he was like my best friend. His name was uh, Easy. So she would tell us that uh, we drink too much. So she would always leave milk, milk thistle out for us to take. Really? <laughs> yeah. Dandelion uh, milk thistle. Yeah. It's such an interesting name. Yeah, it is. Dandelion. It works, though. I mean, it does make you feel a lot better. But it's interesting that... Um, that you said anger was held in your liver so liver. And then he also said that it's stored in sort of like the mouth because we clench a lot. Oh yeah. We hold a lot of energy here. Yeah. You know, I mean, I wonder if that's why alcoholics are alcoholics because like angry drunks. Yeah. Maybe. Well, you know, cause you, that's, you process alcohol through your liver, right? Yeah. And I mean, then if you have the, a lot of anger in your liver and you're drinking to mm-hmm. kind of numb that pain. Right. Yeah. I, don't know. I mean, aside of that, just alcohol being a poison, yeah. you know, it's basically I mean, like your body just getting pissed off at you for doing it in general. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like all, uh, all vices, right? Yeah, exactly. But yeah, he says you store it a lot in the liver and then, uh, a lot in the, the mouth, but you know, you could also store it in various areas of your body because I, I think when I try and piece this apart in my brain, there's always a physical and emotional and spiritual um, uh, collaborative effort when it mm-hmm. comes to, you know, emotions and how they're processed. If there is an emotion that comes up, it is automatically processed in the body as a sensation. Right. It's like a feeling, mm-hmm. right? So there's always like this correspondence taking place. So if you are afraid, if you're experiencing large amounts of fear, mm-hmm. then your body releases that cortisol, that mm-hmm. adrenaline, and you feel that go through your body. Yeah. And that's also a neurochemical. Yeah. And that gets evenly distributed throughout your entire body. And it's very potent. It can get stuck in different areas. We've had like a panic attack where like it was so severe that like at the end of the day, you just felt like that tension throughout your body. It's like it, it's kind of stays there. I've actually never had a panic attack. Really? Yeah. Oh, wow. 
Yeah. That's awesome though. And, That's good. There are a lot of people told, that do. Yeah, no, it's, it's super common. And I could never really understand. I had a friend that had panic attacks all the time, especially yeah. if she had to fly and really? she had this like insane fear of flying and we would get on the plane and she would go into a full on panic attack Yeah, and hearing her describe it sounds like the most horrible thing ever. Mm-hmm. I mean, just heart palpitations racing. You have this, you're in this thought loop and yeah. that, you know, you're in danger, kind of mm-hmm. like your flight or flight, your flight Heck. or fight kicks in and you are just in total fear. Yeah. So, yeah. It's yeah. like your, your, your instinctual crippling. primitive brain takes over. Yeah. I just, no yeah. thanks. And when that chemical is running through your brain, like that adrenaline, that cortisol, it's, it's essentially your, your, your body is convinced that there's some sort of external threat. Yeah. Even though there's not. Even though there's not. You know? Mm-hmm. And in some ways, that fear response is absolutely natural. Like it, it's actually meant to protect us, right, mm-hmm. from wild animals. Mm-hmm. And but we live in a very different type of society where we don't really have to worry about those type of threats. What it's evolved into is emotional fear. Yeah. And that, in some ways, is a lot more dangerous because we do that to ourselves. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I, and I think that's a, a really good thing that you bring up is that's part of like the practice is identifying where that fear is coming from. Mm-hmm. And working through that, whenever it comes to fear, I notice, because uh, I had um, gone through a bout of panic disorder for a while, maybe not disorder, but symptoms of panic attacks throughout my life. And I think a lot of people go through that, you know, there's a lot of things to be afraid of as you grow up and you start to learn how life works, right? you know, and uh, it had me at some point really, really really dive into the dynamics of fear because mm-hmm. I was so determined to overcome it. Right. You know, and even if you don't have panic attacks, fear is basically the, the, the biggest issue in the spiritual community that we want to overcome, that we want to learn from. So right. essentially fear became my greatest teacher. Same thing with, you know, um, introspecting into death. Right. You know, but the interesting thing about fear and Jiddu Krishnamurti, there's this Eastern spiritual teacher that was really like one of my main um, sort of gurus or spiritual advisors during that time. Mm-hmm. Talks a lot about the nature of fear. Like whenever we think of fear, we think of the reasons why we fear something. Right. Right. It's like, what are you afraid of? You're like, oh, I'm afraid of a boogeyman underneath the bed, or I'm afraid of losing my house. I'm afraid of losing my partner. Mm-hmm. And I was also one of those people that was just like, oh, I'm afraid of, you know, being alone. I'm afraid of, you know, you, it can be just, they're different for everybody. Yeah. But a lot of people don't think of what actually is fear, like the nature of fear. Mm-hmm. Like what is the catalyst for fear to enter into your consciousness? And to concentrate on that and operating from that way, I think gives a really, really good perspective because um, you're finding the root of where it comes from. Right. And fear basically is a result of our affiliation with time. Mm-hmm. It's like this feeling of always getting lost in the sort of neuroses that human beings get lost in, which is ideas of the future, mm-hmm. remembrance of the past. And Osho talks about this where he says that when you concentrate and focus too much on the future, and then constantly live in the past, you're actually living a non-existential life. Yeah. You might as well not exist. Yeah. Because those things, the past is a graveyard, mm-hmm. doesn't exist anymore, and the future hasn't even happened yet. Right. And that's a crazy thought. That's a crazy thought that you can get so lost in the chaos of your mind that you essentially stop living life. And I think that a lot of people go through that at oh, some yeah. point in our lives. Yeah, Absolutely. Absolutely. Time's a funny thing. I had a friend um, who lost her brother and lost her brother suddenly. And she, um, she was going through and going through his closet and taking his clothes out and, you know, cleaning out his room and uh, getting his stuff together, you know, with his roommate. And she was pulling um, clothes out of his closet that had tags on them. Uh And she was like, this is just so, this is so strange to me because he had a plan to wear this. 
Mm-hmm. And, you know, like this is a future event. Like he bought this to wear this at another time and he's never going to be able to wear it. Yeah. And I don't know why that was so profound and like really stuck with me, but she was like, time, it's the only non-renewable resource. You know, yeah. that's the most precious gift you can give someone is your time because you can never get that back. Right. And um, I just, yeah, it was one of those moments where you're like, man, yeah. Yeah. And it's a, we put so much value on it and so much emphasis. But if you really look at the tangibility of time, it really doesn't exist at all. It's almost sort of like the ideas that we have in our mind. Right. Of We have a very sort of linear way at looking at life, right? Mm-hmm. There's like a beginning, a start to something, and then there's this sort of progression into some sort of end. Yeah. That's the way our mind sort of tries to establish some sort of like uh, cohesiveness with reality. Mm-hmm. Because the mind is so afraid of not knowing things. Yeah. So it creates these scenarios and these universes off of beliefs. And time is worked into that. You know, the only thing I feel like that gives us the sense of continuity as far as things progressing from one moment, one moment to the other is time. Mm-hmm. I was uh, in the kitchen um, with my sister a few days ago. Mm-hmm. And we started talking about uh, things like birthdays because she's in her, you know, age where a lot of her friends are having children and they're going to a lot of different birthdays. And it's like, I don't know if you experience this, but I feel like we're going through so many birthdays nowadays. Oh my gosh. And it's totally cool, but it's like, wow, I feel like I'm always going to birthdays. Yeah. You know, anyways, I uh, told her, I I started to introspect me. I was like, do you know, or at least it feels like it to me that today is the exact same day as when you were born. And she was like, she just was like, huh? huh? <laughs> and I was like, well, if you really think about it, the only thing that gives you the sense of continuity is time. Right. Right. The only thing that gives you this idea that one day is different from the other is one time, but also the fact that you sleep mm-hmm. and then wake up. But if you stood up, I mean, obviously, don't don't stay up more than 24 hours because you could probably go legitimately insane. No, yeah. You get delirious. It's terrible. You get delirious. And then, but if you stood up, and a lot of us have done it before where you stay up at least maybe one or two days. Yeah. It doesn't feel very good, but it can happen. No. Right? So if you stood up, you, there'd be no way to distinguish one day from the other. Right. Except for the fact that the, the sun shines, shines and then the moon sort of takes its place. But realistically, from, I guess, the more universal perspective, from a, like a galactic perspective, how could it be any different than the time of when you were born? I mean, everything around you changes. Obviously, there's a count that takes place from zero to 35. Mm-hmm. But the reason why I bring this up is to really establish peace mm-hmm. because the moment and where we're at is Really, all there is. That's all there is. You know, and if you're looking at it from a more universal sort of source perspective, Mm -hmm. if now is the only time that there is, and now infinitely exists, there's this feeling that I think comes into consciousness of, well, how could we ever not exist? Alan Watts talks a lot about this too, where he's like, there's so many people that are afraid of the idea of of death Mm -hmm. as if they've experienced it before. Right. But- We've never had an experience of nothing before. That's you, ever, so you know what I mean? Because even when we're sleeping, we're still alive. Right. Even when, you know, we are inebriated or even if we, you know, uh, somehow pass out, we're still breathing. There's right. never a moment in time where we're not existing. Yeah. Yeah. So that's all we know. I feel like as human beings yeah. is when how to exist. Yeah. Is when your spirit's in your body, right? Your spirit's in your body. So he's like, well... How do you know what death feels like if we've never experienced it before? The only thing that we know is an experience of something, right? Right. So he brought up a really interesting story. He's like, well, if you sit long enough and you start thinking about, well, going to sleep and never waking up, like, can we really think about that and delve some meaning from it? And he's like, well, after a certain period of time, if you think about going to sleep and never waking up, then it'll pose another question to you, which is, what is it like to wake up having never gone to sleep? That's when you were born. So it's like you can't have an experience of nothing right. unless you have something to compare it with. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I think that should create some peace. It definitely did for me, which is we're always going to exist. And the only thing that's going to happen after this 
experience happens is just another experience. Yeah. Another experience, another vessel. Yeah. It's like you see the human body is just our current vessel, right? Yeah. Like you see those memes online. Um, or at least I saw one online where it was like this alien, um, that was like hitting like a bong Uh and he, he hits it and he wakes up in another dimension, another reality. (laughs) So it's almost like this, this fractal sort of like image of once you leave this dimension, you'll wake up in another dimension and it just infinitely goes. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I didn't see that meme, but I'm going to have to look it up. Yeah, that yeah, it's like super cool. So the moral of the story is that you can't have an experience of nothing if all you've ever experienced was something. Right. You I know. like that. Yeah. That's good. So I guess it, this is a, a pretty easy question to answer. So you don't have a fear of dying? No, no. And there are, for, there are several reasons why that is, and I won't go too much into it in this episode because that will be an entire, we're going to have to plan another episode where I talk about my near-death experience. Ooh, yeah. I don't know about this because that became a catalyst, a large catalyst for my spiritual journey. And after that point, Oh, wait a minute. I did know about this. You did tell me about this when I first met you. Yeah. Laguna beach. Yeah. Yeah. Laguna beach. And long story short for the listeners and the people that are watching, I had a near death experience in Laguna beach where I essentially drowned mm-hmm. and I had a moment of just sort of divine clarity. And that set the course on a lot of my venturing into near death experiences started reading Raymond Moody, mm-hmm. um, PMH Atwater, and um, Betty Eady. And these are all authors that you know are, are known for their clinical research and also spiritual research into near-death experiences. Yeah. And the one thing that I learned from that experience is that we absolutely shouldn't have a fear of death because there was nothing scary about that experience. Right. I think the one thing that I I noticed or learned from that experience was the the one thing that produces most of the fear are our ideas of what it means to die. Mm-hmm. And because we work so intimately with the ego, it's so easy to start identifying it as who we are, right? Mm-hmm. Unless we establish some sort of separation in meditation from awareness and then subject object sort of relationship a lot of us can't tell the difference so in that moment that sort of ego turns off but it goes kicking and screaming and i think this is what happens uh when people experience panic attacks Mm -hmm. this is also what happens um when when people go through that sort of proverbial dark night of the soul where your spirit is expanding so large and so big in every direction that your body becomes almost like this tight shoe when the spirit starts expanding much farther out mm-hmm. you go through this essentially this pain it's like the ascension symptoms they call it yeah and how that reinforces itself inside of your body is it produces a fear response because the body doesn't know what it is right you know it's like the body starts panicking like there's something here that I need to protect you from Mm -hmm. because the ego needs to establish control at all times. Right. So in everything we know about the spiritual journey is all about giving up control and realizing that that control exists somewhere else, Mm -hmm. if at all. And so once we start getting into meditation and I hear this, I've I've experienced this a lot with people that start um, diving deeper into meditation, the further you go into that Samadhi type of experience, Mm -hmm. Essentially, your spirit's expanding, constantly expanding, constantly expanding to where you get this sort of nervicalpa samadhi experience where you drop the body. You no longer even feel like you're in a body. Mm. And people go through this in astral projection, lucid dreaming, but Mm. it's always a challenge to try and communicate that to your body because it's like, oh, you don't need me in this experience. Mm-hmm. You're transcending the body. You're mm-hmm. transcending the ego. I cannot allow this to happen. Yeah. So that's when it starts producing that fear response in your body. And a lot of people listen to it. Oh, yeah. A lot of people are like, oh, I can't meditate anymore. I know people that have scared themselves out of meditation or um, stopped venturing more into the sort of like esoteric metaphysical practices for that very reason. Mm. Fear has this way of convincing you that doing this is not 
the best thing for you. Right. But you have to, you know, surrender to it and accept that whatever direction source is navigating your spirit, that fear can never ever penetrate that which is immovable, that which is infinite, that which is sacred. Mm -hmm. And after that point, especially when I was out there in the ocean, if you just surrender and stop trying to control the experience, which is the ego trying to control the experience, something else comes in, something else sort of blossoms, and then that's where the source energy comes. So it was replaced, this fear was replaced into this unbelievable peace mm -hmm. and this unbelievable love. And if you've ever experienced anything like that, then you'll know that the universe is loving. Yeah. 100%. Yeah, absolutely. I don't have a fear of dying at all, but I have, I have this connection between fear and pain, like mm. the fear of death and pain, like death is associated in a painful way. Right. Um, so that's, that's where this like fear comes from. I'm thinking either I'm going to die of being burned to death or, you know, drowning or, or asphyxiation or uh -huh. a car crash or cancer, like something that is going to be painful. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's the source of my fear wow. related to death, yeah. but dying and the actual like act of dying and being dead and, you know, my human body being dead rather, you know, uh, I don't have any, any kind of fear about. So, so, so there is this, um, this, I think it was a TED Talks mm -hmm. uh, where it was this, um, this this driver that ran an ambulance or drove an ambulance. And he was used to taking in sort of ER patients like trauma, mm -hmm. trauma victims. Mm -hmm. And um, I can't remember exactly what the specifics were around the interview, but he became an advocate for near-death experiences because of uh, things that he'd had experienced at the actual hospital mm -hmm. with patients that were sort of coming in and out of consciousness. Yeah. And some that have actually even passed away. Yeah. And um, he had also had a near-death experience. And what he was talking about was the source energy, God, divinity, whatever it is that you want to call it, is a compassionate force. And would never want anybody to experience, you know, the pain to the extent that we imagine we experience when it comes to things like what you're just talking about. So he feels, and I feel this to some degree because I didn't experience any pain mm -hmm. at all. And I've read enough, you know, uh, near-death experiences that have counted for this sort of position, which is you will experience some pain, but there'll be a certain point where spirit or source removes you from that. Yeah before you experience the type of pain that you imagine that you would right. experience. Yeah. So you don't ultimately end up going through that trauma. I don't think mm -hmm. source would allow somebody to just perish in that way. Yeah. It sort of pops you out of there, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. So did you go through a lot of that when you were younger, like a, a fear of death? Was there sort of like a, something that um, called you to start introspecting on it and how you feel about it? No, I had a, I had a near death experience. Um, I almost drowned as well, but I was really young. Um, yeah. I was maybe like six years old mm -hmm. and, uh, we were in the Bay and my mom was tanning on the beach and there was, I guess like an undertow and I went under and yeah. I'm not a strong swimmer anyways. And I don't have strong lungs either. So I can't hold my breath for very long. Yeah. And I just remember looking up and taking in water in my lungs, right. Oh, wow, really? Until I passed out. Uh -huh. And everything just was black. And then yeah. it was like being born again, right? And then yeah. my mom saw this happening and walked on water and pulled me out of the water, right? Whoa. And I woke up on the beach and uh, it was like eyes open and it was like being reborn, like popped yeah. back into my body. Yeah. It was really strange. Um, so that's, well, that's my memory of it as a six-year-old child, right? Mm -hmm. You know, so looking back on it. Um, but yeah, no. And I, I don't remember feeling I had, I was anxious and feeling fear at that time when I was looking up cause I knew that I wasn't going to be able to rescue myself. Yeah. Um, and then I just kind of gave up like mentally was like, okay, well, I guess I'm going to die. Yeah. Um, but I didn't. So, so it's almost like the resistance that people have to any given moment creates that dialogue in the brain that is for the most part moderated by the ego. Right. That 
just starts pumping all these ideas and concepts about what it thinks that experience means. Right. And at the end of the day, once you just sort of succumb to that and, and accept it, it becomes, it, there's this really amazing quote by Muji. It says, the ego is a ghost who's afraid of dying. <laughs> you know? Yeah. You swear good. that it's real. Okay. You know, like there's this uh, Eastern spiritual teacher named Sri Ramana Maharshi. They called him the sage of Arunachala. And he still has an ashram in, I think, Tuvanamali, India. And the, inter- the, the really fascinating thing about Ramana Maharshi was that they called him um, basically like the silent prophet. Mm-hmm. You know, he didn't talk very much, if at all. He, he, his very presence for others is just very enlightening for a lot of people. But his whole awakening happened where he was at home and suddenly, just out of nowhere, he got this feeling that he was about to die, mm-hmm. like that he was going to die. And it's interesting you and, said that. I want to come back to that, that and, feeling that you're about to die. And, yeah. you know, that like premonition that you're going to die. You hear people say that all the time that, yeah. you know, they, they'll start to give their things away before they die because they are having that premonition of yeah. dying. But with, with him, he was a young kid. Oh, okay. And obviously uh, a very evolved young kid. He said to himself, well, if I'm going to die, I don't want to miss it. So <laughs> he goes onto the floor, lays down on his back. And his way of kind of expressing that was he got into the position, corpse position, mm-hmm. and just sat there laying on the floor, waiting for it to happen. Like he was like ready. I don't know. Maybe yeah. he lived a million different other lifetimes before. And he was like, all right, well, I've done right, this I'm all done. before. Yeah. But he laid down on the ground and never came to him. Obviously, if we were to call it anything, it'd be a panic attack. Right. But he sat there in complete awareness and that's where he became awakened. That's where he reached enlightenment because he realized at that point that there was a separation between his spiritual self and that which what he was experiencing Mm -hmm. so clearly. So sometimes trauma does that. Right. And in the spiritual path, from my experience, people either get to source through trauma Mm-hmm. Because it like shocks the system into paying attention. Yeah. Or, you know, you have a, a sort of maybe uh, enlightenment samadhi experience mm-hmm. where you're just experiencing these devout levels of bliss. Mm-hmm. And that's great too. Yeah. But I feel like the latter is true, especially in our Western world where people, there's always a catalyst for people to venture into really paying attention and doing the work. Right. And trauma for him just the same as trauma for me mm-hmm. and maybe trauma for you really gets the gears rolling mm-hmm. into asking those fundamental questions about like what it means to be alive. Yeah. Like what my positioning is on this planet. So have you ever been around um, someone who's passed away? Yeah. Like in the hospital? Yeah. Well, I think we talked about this before um, when we um, first met a while back was I, after that near death experience that I had, I became so fascinated by uh, death and dying in the, pro- death in the process. And dying. It wasn't mm-hmm. like a sadistic thing. It was just no, more no, of no. like it's a, not morbid. It's right, right. It was like a you experience a this beautiful something that you, everybody your entire life has been telling you stories about how much you should fear it. Yeah, programs, movies, you, people watch. It's yeah. obviously programmed into it. It, it our is conditioning yeah. to fear it. Yeah, and. The fact that it wasn't anything like that when I had that experience, Mm -hmm. obviously I started thinking of like, what else have I been lied to about? (laughs) Everything. All of a sudden life becomes this beautiful, magical place when before you had been conditioned to see it otherwise. Right. So I became so fascinated with it and then I started getting into hospice work. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. So I started with this company called Seasons Hospice and Palliative Care in Glendale. And I started as uh, just a volunteer. Mm-hmm. So I was able to kind of go in there and start sitting with a lot of these patients that were, you know, chronically ill, dementia, mm-hmm. various different things like that, just old age. Mm-hmm. So that was an interesting experience. But it was also an interesting experience developing these really strong relationships with these patients and also having them pass away. Right. You know, because you're, yeah. you're still human at the end of the day. And even though you know that they're transitioning into that place. Mm-hmm there's still this process of detachment. There's yeah. this, this process of, of honoring. 
that person. Yeah, it's really interesting to talk to hospice nurses. Um, you know, I'm a nurse, so I I know a lot of different nurses right. in different areas of specialty, right. and um, and the process of dying. Right, there's actually stages of dying, and patients have the same type of symptoms during those stages. So um, it's like kind of an intuitive thing for nurses. They can identify, okay, this patient's one to two weeks away from dying because they're experiencing these types of of symptoms. Right. Right. But um, being in the hospital and working in the hospital and being around patients that have passed away, um, it's like the air is sucked out of the room. Like you can literally feel the spirit leave the body. Yeah. Um, Did you experience that? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Like running codes on patients in the hospital. Uh Um, Whenever you have somebody that's kind of in and out, um, you can feel it like doing compressions, chest compressions on a patient that's, um, Uh that's in, in their process of dying. Right. Um, and I don't know if it's the spirit that's already outside of the body trying to get back in or, you know, I, I don't know. I don't know what mm-hmm. the, uh, what the feeling is. Cause I haven't died yet. So yeah. I don't know. I'll get back to you on that one. Yeah. But, um, but it's really, uh, it's really interesting because whenever they actually do finally die, I don't need, uh, I don't need a monitor and a heart rhythm to tell me that they're dead. Like right. you can feel it. You right. can feel the spirit leave the body. Right. It's like all of the air being sucked out of the room at one time. And it's the stillness and like the silence. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know how to explain it. It's like Burning Man. Like, how do you explain it? Like, yeah, I don't know. I know. When somebody dies, it's like, it's yeah. just this, this feeling. Yeah. I know get. what you mean. Like, so I had a, a patient a while back and she was, uh, she has, she had dementia mm-hmm. and they had, um, just some, some red reservations about having me as her volunteer because, a lot of people had difficulty with her because she did speak, but I found her so intriguing. The reason why is because when she spoke, she did speak coherent English, Mm -hmm. but she wouldn't directly tell you, you know, that she was either happy to see you or that she was uncomfortable or that Mm -hmm. she needed this or that. After sitting with her for quite some time, I started noticing that she sort of speaks in this type of expressive language where if she's happy, she'll tell me a happy story. Mm-hmm. If she's upset, she'll tell me a story of when she was upset. Yeah. If she needs something, she'll tell me a story of when she needed something. Oh. And that's how she communicated. Yeah. And for whatever reason, <laughs> yeah, very cryptic, but the nurses and the doctors never picked up on that. Yeah. Even when the nurse brought me to the room, she's like, yeah, she talks, but I don't really ever know what she's saying. Yeah. So I was like determined, just, I was determined to kind of meet that and try and figure out what it was. So yeah. sitting with her enough times and I used to come and read her affirmations and play music for her and things like that. Um, I started picking up on that Yeah, and that's very, very beautiful. But the one thing that I noticed about her is that during certain moments, I'd always catch her looking at certain areas of the room, mm-hmm. you know, you yeah. know, somehow you have those moments when you're at home or you, you see your cat staring intently at a certain space when you know there's nothing there. Yeah. And cats are another thing. Like they see into these other sort of alternate dimensions. Right. And she would speak to whoever was in this room. Yeah. And whoever was standing in the proximity of where she was looking mm-hmm. all the time. Yeah. You know, and I see it almost as this after after a while you become this sort of swinging door between this yeah. reality and eternity. Yeah. And there's a certain point where the lines become very blurred and they have trouble identifying the difference. Right. So I imagine what they see in comparison to what we see, you know, it's like this gradual process of them seeming to us to be crazy, yeah. but for them to be probably more sane than us oh, because for sure. they're opening the doorway into this place. Yeah. That's part of it. That's um, like the last one to two weeks before a person dies, they start having those and I guess medical term hallucinations, yeah. um, but they're not really a hallucination, right? If it's real to them, yeah. you know, is it really a hallucination it, or are they just seeing something that we can't see that right. we're not privileged to see into that realm? Yeah. So yeah, like that, that's super common right around like, last two weeks, mm-hmm. they'll start to quote unquote hallucinate, see maybe past loved ones, or, um, they'll start talking to something that's not there. Yeah. Um, they'll, uh, they won't eat as much, yeah. uh, be a little bit more tired. And then sometimes you'll see like a second wind, like one or two days before they die where they're right. like no longer in pain and they're, um, up and talking and they appear to be like doing 
much better and recovering and like this person's not going to die. Right. Um, and then they pass away the next day. Yeah. So um, the second wind phenomenon is pretty cool too. That's to interesting. The yeah. second wind. Uh huh. So. Yeah. So it's like they come and they, they, they spend just enough time to be able to say their goodbyes and things like that. You yeah. Know? And it, it, the, the one thing that I reason why I thought hospice was so, so powerful. And if anybody that's listening, you know, you're looking for some volunteer work, definitely reach out to hospice. It's a really beautiful experience. But the reason why I feel like hospice needs more volunteers mm-hmm. is because we're dealing with uh, a certain type of element of life that doctors and nurses, I've met a lot of nurses that do know what's going on, but doctors aren't really trained to know what to do with dead people right. because doctors are meant to keep you alive. Right. <laughs> you know? So yeah. there's this feeling that I'd gotten from some of these patients of obviously there's fear on their end mm-hmm. because everybody's telling them everything's going to be okay Yeah. when they know in their hearts, not yeah, going it's to. Not, yeah. So there has to be somebody that sits with them. Um, I've seen nurses that are able to do this and that's great. And I'm yeah. sure because you're a nurse, you've probably consoled some of these people that, you know, we're heading down this path. But for me, I think it's so important to have that conversation with them if they're willing to receive it. Right. You know, to like, let them know that whatever they're experiencing is completely normal and completely natural. And, you know, there should be, and I feel like us here in the West, we're one of, um, I'm sure, several cultures out there that has a stigma behind the idea of dying. Mm-hmm. So it's this thing you don't talk about. But if you go down to the Varanasi in India, mm-hmm. or if you go to the Philippines and you know, you're know you walking through graveyards during Halloween, these are people that are honoring the dead in an open way, mm-hmm. celebrating them, right, and paying homage to it as just being a natural force of life. Mm-hmm. You yeah. know? And that's the one thing uh, about death is it's basically just the other side of life. Like you can't have one without the other. Yeah. Otherwise you would just be like a, you know, an Edward Cullen and you'd be alive for forever. <laughs> and I don't know, care who you say, if, if, if somebody says they'd want to be immortal and live forever, I mean, that would be very difficult. I don't think it was really designed tough. for that type of experience. No. You know? Yeah. That'd be really tough. Yeah. I wouldn't no, I don't I don't think that I would want that. Yeah. It's like we want it, but not in I want that a time travel. I just want to go live in a period of time for like a couple years and then bounce. <laughs> what year would you go to? Oh man. I I would probably I would probably like sixties, seventies for what? a little bit. Really? Yeah, late sixties, early seventies. Well why? What would you do yeah. what would you do? Uh I just want to see Cher. I want to see Cher <laughs> in her prime. Really? <laughs> Yeah. No, I don't know. That's a hard question. Yeah. Um, I mean, even just, but I do love share, but um, no, I mean, I, I don't know. See, that would be so tough. Like I, I'd kind of want to be, I'd kind of want to visit prohibition, like yeah. times during prohibition. We'd um, have to stop by a few places. Yeah. I want to like, stop by a few places. Hard, Can I stop by? The, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'd want to go uh, one. I'd want to go back to when I was a child. Really? I, I'd want to see the environment in which I was living in during that time. Just for a different perspective. Yeah. But I'd also want to go back to the time when Jesus was alive. Oh, that'd be, yeah. I'd want to go back to the time when the Egyptians were sort of reigning in Cairo in, in, in Egypt. Yeah, let's go to Atlantis. Oh, that would How be the sick first would that one. Be? Yeah. That would be, we'd have to yeah, go to see, Atlantis. I had, a, I had a little time to think about it, yeah, and I'm like, yeah. Atlantis, that's where Atlantis, I want to go. Yeah, because chances are we've been there before. Yeah. Atlantis or Lemuria. Yeah. Or we can even, it doesn't even have to be limited to this planet. This planet, yeah. Like we could go to Sirius. We can go to the Pleiades constellation. We can even go to Mars or Venus. I'm in. You know, I was reading this the other day, Edgar Cayce, the sleeping prophet. He was, he's, Edgar Cayce is um, one of the most renowned psychics of our time. Mm -hmm. And the reason why he's so prolific is he was a physician first. And he... Um, somehow uh, came down with the gift of of being really intuitively psychic. So he would go into these trance-like states and he would access the Akashic Records. He's one of the only people that has, has really been able to do this and diagnose different patients with different illnesses. Mm-hmm. 
And, you know, you hear that right away. You're just like, ah, yeah, is this guy for real? But then he had like an over 90, 80 or 90% success rate when it comes to these things. Like he was able to not only diagnose the patients, but give them a prescription that didn't involve pharmaceuticals yeah. of what they can do to overcome various levels of illnesses. Yeah. Right. And he talked about, one, he talked about Atlantis. Yeah. But he also talked about in different dimensions, you have full on civilizations of people living on these planets. Like Venus has beings on it. Mm-hmm. Same thing with Mars. Same thing with you know, all these other places. Right. You know, but the interesting thing about when he would talk about Atlantis and then when he would talk about even Egypt mm-hmm. is that they are very different than how things are here, mm-hmm. but not by very much. He said we had the same, we had, we had probably more advanced technology during Atlantis mm-hmm. and that could have led to its demise. And we could very well be on that same sort of path that Atlantis was right? because there's always this sort of uh, evolution and acceleration in technology mm-hmm. to the extent where it becomes so uh, intelligent that you reach a sort of singularity point where you essentially become God. Yeah. And because our human bodies aren't designed to really encompass the magnitude of God, we just end up blowing ourselves up. Right. You know what I mean? It's like we're at like a little chemistry set and we put the wrong chemicals together, but we swear that they should go together and then we just end up blowing ourselves up. So that might be this sort of natural cycle that our universe goes in because fundamentally at the end of the day, it's about spiritual evolution. Yeah. And the best way to grow, especially on this planet, is by experiencing various levels of conflict and push and pull and polarity yeah. type of things. Mm-hmm. But that's interesting because when I grew up, especially when we went to school, mm-hmm. they gave us this really sort of antiquated way of perceiving history. Yeah. It's like you see the pyramids now, like in Egypt. It's like just a bunch of rocks and dirt and that's it. But it's like, no, they had spacecrafts they had aviation yeah they had there's a a stargate in mexico that a lot of the natives of that area elders of that area swear that at some point you're able to walk into this stargate and be teleported yeah to anywhere that you want Mm -hmm. so i'd like to get to a point where me and you can teleport to these different places oh that would be so cool so the answer is story yeah it's definitely possible yeah and I want to, I want to be able to communicate telepathically too, which we, I think we already do that on do. a very um, low level, yeah. right? Yeah. But actually, have a full-on conversation without speaking—that'd be so awesome. Yeah. I, but yeah, that would—if I was a superhero, I would want that to be my superpower: um, teleportation. Teleportation. Yeah. That would help so many people. Oh man. You know, because it's like if, say, teleportation happens in modern time. I mean. I feel like it would work for and against because you, you, there's, there's something about the journey in doing anything that makes it worthwhile. Mm -hmm. Right. Not that I want to sit in rush hour traffic. I don't want to do that, but (laughs) sometimes getting from here to Mount Shasta driving or flying, I like that. It's part of the journey. It's like a journey, right? It's part of the journey. But when I, when I think of teleportation, maybe not teleporting from here to the supermarket, but teleporting from here into a past life. Right. Or teleporting here and somewhere maybe into the future or whatever. Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like that would be a cool thing to be able to do. Yeah. You know, I, I wouldn't have any desire to be able to quote unquote read someone's mind or, yeah. you know, I, I think it it's definitely teleportation. If yeah. you had a superpower, what would it be? Well, as far as the teleportation piece, I don't feel that teleportation is going to come in there's going to be some, you know, software engineer at Google is going to develop the software, the technology <laughs> to create a teleporter. I don't think it's right. going to happen like that. Yeah. The way that I see it is once we start becoming more aware uh-huh. during this time of great awakening, this Aquarian age that uh-huh. just happens to be My your sign. sign. I know. Right. We'll start diving more deep into these sort of mystery school practices mm-hmm. like astral projection, mm-hmm. lucid dreaming, understanding how psychic energy moves through the body. Mm-hmm. And once we start dialing into that, we'll start uh, realizing that we have the full capacity and the understanding of how to teleport by leaving our bodies. Right. 
by leaving our physical selves and teleporting into another dimension. Because mm-hmm. we do that every night when we sleep. Yeah. You know? I mean, that's, that's what happens when we dream. Yeah. You know? So it's almost like we have all the tools, but we're not entirely sure how to use them. Right. You know? So uh, in Atlantis, that's a good point you bring up because Atlantis, at some point, they had such a strong connection between this world and spirit. It was almost like walking through, walking to the store. It's like, hey, I'm going to go into the fifth dimension really quick and come back. Right. Like they were so dialed into that. Yeah. But then, you know, the demise of the civilization was greed and and becoming morally bankrupt, right? Right. And all those privileges were taken away. Right. Yeah. And I think that's just a result of... um, That's the pendulum swing, right? That's the pendulum swing. That's the... It's hard, you know, because there's a lot of people, especially in the community, that want to try and eradicate these various levels of conflict completely. Mm-hmm. But as far as in our history, it's always existed. Right. Like it's always been there. And it's not like I don't want to get rid of violence and, and things like that. Obviously those things are wrong. Mm-hmm. But looking at it from our history, but also looking at it from the way that the polarities operate on our planet, it's almost like those that resistance, that mm-hmm. contrast and that polarity needs to exist for us to gather any type of meaning from this existence. Right. Because in Osho, I think, talked about it too. It's like, in the same way you wouldn't want to be angry all the time, you wouldn't want to be happy all the time either. I mean, because you wouldn't have anything, any frame of reference. Right. You can't appreciate the rainbow without the rain. Right, exactly. So it's all about finding that balance. Mm-hmm. So it, it it just makes me realize that this is the game that's going on, this sort of cycle. And what I can do as a human being to play my part and be loving and be compassionate. Like that is within our realm to change, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I think as human beings, we have this uh, very interesting way that we look at change, unless it's happening on a major scale. Mm-hmm. A lot of us feel powerless. We're like, well, how can I change the world? It's just me. But the fact that you have the ability to love and the mm-hmm. fact that you have the ability to you know, change even one person's life. You're changing the entire world. So the answer to your question, if I had a superpower, uh, it would probably have to be maybe just developing my psychic skills more. Oh, yeah. You know, not in, in not the way that, you're, that you were saying, yeah. which was like, oh, I don't want to read somebody's mind, but it's just being more intuitive and, yeah. you know, being more receptive to the energy that's kind of move around. I like it. You know, yeah. But okay. it's been a really, really amazing Sunday catching up with you, Jen. Yeah, it's been awesome. Yeah, it's been really, really great. I wanted to talk about my cacao ceremony, but that's something we can kind of save for next time. We'll save that. Yeah, yeah we'll save that for next time. Uh, so anybody that's tuning into our show right now, uh, we have some really, really amazing guests coming up uh, in the weeks ahead. We'll, we'll post them. We have a, uh, a beautiful woman named Alana Shelton that's going to come in and um, talk about and address uh, the awakening that's happening on our planet right now and just sort of the, the heightened energy that all of us are experiencing. And you can find us if you have questions about the podcast on www.divine-nobodies.com. We also are uploading our videos on YouTube. So if you're watching this, you found your way there already. So it's been really beautiful time and absolutely we'll definitely talk to you guys soon namaste, namaste have a great friends. week that could have gone on forever we could have we had another hour of talking we never even got to the shit we were going to talk about <laughs>